Hello and welcome to Nobody's Perfect, a place to acknowledge that we all do make some mistakes, but the key, of course, is to figure out how to learn from them, whether they be our own or others. For LocalJobNetwork.com Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Performance management, while not necessarily a pair of dirty words, they don't necessarily elicit positive feelings very often. Clearly, some sort of gauge of an employee's performance and future strategy does need to be addressed and examined, but perhaps there needs to be some sort of adjustment. Our guest argues there should be a fundamental shift in the ways organizations look at and use performance management. Joining us from just outside of D.C. is Rose Mueller Hansen, Director of Leadership and Organizational Consulting at PDRI. Thanks for coming on today, Rose. Thanks a lot, Tim. It's great to be here. Before we jump into the topic itself, if you could maybe a little for the audience describe your professional experience, especially as it relates to performance management. Absolutely. Uh, Well, I'm an organizational psychologist by training. And for those who are not familiar with that field, essentially what we do is apply science to improve workplace effectiveness. So, for example, we focus on finding the best method to select people, to train them, uh, and to retain them in the workplace. So performance management is obviously a really important part of that. Mm-hmm. And at PDRI, we've consulted with a variety of public and private sector organizations about how to help organizations do a better job with their performance management and keep people engaged, which, as you mentioned, is quite a challenge. And we've come to the conclusion that most organizations really aren't getting the return they'd like to see. So uh, not only are we trying to help other organizations do this, but we've actually done it for ourselves. When we look at this idea then of of performance management, you know, I'm sure people hear that all the time and have this idea of what it is, but in terms of maybe the traditional method and the purpose of these assessments, I mean, how would you describe that? Yeah, you know, we've actually asked a lot of organizations that same question in our workshops, and we typically hear three reasons that emerge. So first of all, organizations like to think that performance management helps them make decisions. So mm. how do you decide how, how much of a raise to give somebody or whether to promote them? Secondly, uh, they use it for legal defensibility. So there's a feeling that we really need to document how people are doing right. so that if we need to take some kind of action or maybe even terminate somebody, we have some justification. And then thirdly, it's just holding people accountable, especially poor performers. So really making sure that people are doing what they need to do and that they know where they stand. When we look at the traditional sort of method, you mentioned it maybe being a little problematic in some ways. Are there particular reasons that maybe they tend to fail or not live up to expectations, just especially based on some of your experience and some of the research that you've done as an organization? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, most people say they want performance management to actually drive higher performance in their organization. But when you really look at how effective is the system, it's not actually doing that. It's not actually helping people to perform better. And it's certainly not for lack of effort. Many organizations expend an enormous amount of energy and time and money trying to improve their performance management system. But we think the key reason that they often fail is because it's too focused on the formal process. Hmm. So oftentimes we get really wrapped up in the appraisal form, for example. What rating scale do we use? Do we use a three-point scale, a five-point scale, a seven-point scale? And the truth of the matter is, is that really doesn't matter. In terms of the (laughs) ultimate outcome that you want to achieve, uh, driving high performance, it doesn't matter if you rate people on a three- or a five-point scale. Um, What matters is the day-to-day behavior that you engage in, that employees engage with, with each other and, and with their managers. And that's not something that gets reinforced with most performance management systems. 
And you kind of brought it up there that a lot of times it becomes this, it's, it, most of the time, my experience, people I talk to, it is this formal sort of, you know, checking in period that doesn't necessarily address those day-to-day behaviors, as you mentioned. And one of the parts that I've seen expressed as maybe not being effective when it comes to performance management is that poor performers, whether it be on that rating scale or whatever other, you know, sort of metrics maybe that are used, they're not necessarily held accountable what kind of impact do you see that having for organization if that is happening where maybe the rest of the group kind of feels like that is a poor performer and, and the numbers bear it out, but nothing really happens? Yeah, you're exactly right, Tim. I mean, one of the top reasons that people want to have performance management is the notion that you've got to hold poor performers accountable. But the truth of the matter is that rarely occurs. That's usually one of the lowest rated things in organizations, the ability to hold poor performers accountable. And there's really two impacts to that. One is the obvious impact of just underperformance. If you're not helping a poor performer improve or holding him accountable, uh, you're not getting the maximum performance out of that individual. And so the organization suffers as a result. But there's an indirect cost to that as well. Uh, I mean, you're getting low morale from the rest of the organization. Mm -hmm. People who see that they're working hard, they're putting in the effort, but the person sitting next to them isn't, and that person is also not being held accountable. Now, sort of uh, maybe to go just briefly off here, off to the side, is there a particular reason that they end up not getting held accountable through these performance, like typical performance management, hold, you know, the way they do these things? Yeah, you know, from our observation, uh, we think it's, it's, again, because organizations are so focused on completing the formal aspects of the system, okay. uh, making sure the forms are done on time, making sure that, you know, people are rated uh, and that you've got a nice distribution and all of that, that they lose sight of what really matters. And that's having those day-to-day conversations where accountability actually happens. So um, organizations who don't have managers who know how to have the tough conversations with people and give candid feedback uh, aren't doing a good job of holding people accountable. And when, when we really talk to, to managers and organizations, we find that that's often where things break down, just having that honest conversation, because people don't have the skills to do that well, and the organization isn't really reinforcing that. When you mentioned the, the idea of communication, and that was another part that I kept coming across, was the idea that you know things like goals and priorities, expectations, those things often are unclear to the employees. And then Again, how do you how do you judge them? How do you how do you determine their value with these performance management systems if they weren't really sure what they're supposed to be doing in the first place? So I guess when you hear that, these idea of unclear expectations, are there certain reasons why this occurs aside from just poor communications or something specific you can look at? And then on the flip side, are there examples you can give to help improve that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a common problem, even in organizations where the overarching mission seems pretty obvious. And we work with a lot of government organizations who have very important and very clear missions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think what where it breaks down is the employee often doesn't know how the work that he or she does day-to-day links up to that higher mission. And organizations often try to fix this by using what's called a cascading approach. And the idea here is you have your big picture organizational goals and priorities, and then that gets cascaded down through every layer of the organization so that every employee then has a clear line of sight about what they're supposed to be doing, what their boss is supposed to be doing, and so on. 
And that sounds really good in theory, but as a practical matter, it often breaks down because some of those in-between organizations fail to articulate what their priorities and goals really are. Mm -hmm. And another challenge is that some organizations just frankly have too many priorities. For example, I worked with one and they had a list, uh, they called it their top 25, the top 25 priorities, and they would revisit it every month and then they would just keep adding to it. So nothing ever came off the list. kept getting added on. And (laughs) at the employee level, they were saying, geez, we don't know what the heck to focus on because it changes all the time, even though the the high-level mission was clear. So we think it's really important for uh, every leader to learn the skills of how to articulate in very plain language how the work of every employee fits into the bigger picture. Um, And we suggest that you shouldn't wait for that cascading process to happen at every layer in the organization Mm -hmm. because oftentimes it doesn't. Um, That managers really need to understand how does the business operate? How does it keep the lights on uh, and keep serving its customers or its constituents? And then how do you really explain that to employees in a way that they can understand? For example, uh, support staff people are often very confused about how the work they do fits in and supports the bigger picture. So it's up to the manager to really help them see that by supporting the others in the organization. They're making it possible for them to do their work and thereby serving the mission of the organization. But you have to make it very concrete for people and to really help them see how the work they're doing day-to-day fits and serves that larger mission. Now, as we talk here, again, from the from the top, even I mentioned that, you know, the words performance management probably have a, a little bit of a negative connotation to them. And I think you even mentioned in one of the articles I, I read uh, of yours about, you know, obviously a little facetiously saying everyone hates them. Clearly, there is distaste for them. Why? What are some of the reasons really that the, the traditional formal method really doesn't appeal to seemingly many people at all? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, performance management is probably one of the most reviled HR <laughs> practices, unfortunately. And I think there's probably two reasons for that. First, uh, people spend a lot of time on performance management. Uh, if you ask a manager with a lot of direct reports, how much time do you spend on this? So they'll probably you know, give you a pretty high number. Right. For example, one person we talked to said they spent 120 hours a year Jeez. just on the, on the process. Yeah, so it's an incredible amount of time, and, and then people don't really see the value. They don't see the return that they're getting. Um, so that's probably one common reason. I think the second is much deeper, and it's because our traditional view of performance management is really focused on giving somebody a grade, essentially, give on the appraisal component. It's kind of a schoolyard mentality that makes one person a judge of another person without any uh, two-way dialogue or feedback. Uh, and that inhibits collaboration. It inhibits creative problem solving. It inhibits development. People don't like to feel like they're judged, and most people don't like to be in that judge role. And so that's, I think, why people find the process very uncomfortable. And really what we're talking about here is, as you sort of mentioned a couple times about there being this formality or formal sort of process to it, and it's not a day-to-day basis. We're looking at, if you want to improve it, a a mind shift, essentially, and how you want to do things from formal to informal, that sort of thing. When it comes to assessing and looking at performance, I would guess that there's going to be hesitancy among employers, even though we may talk about how it's not effective and and people don't like them in general, uh, in terms of having that major shift. 
I guess what are some of those barriers that you have to get through when you're talking to an employer and suggesting, hey, this is probably a better way to go? What, what, what sort of things do you have to get past? Yeah, it is a major shift, and I think change is, is just hard for most organizations. Most organizations are used to holding people accountable for completing documentation, mm-hmm. but not necessarily engaging in those day-to-day conversations. Um, and people are going to resist that because they're going to be worried about how much time is that going to really take. And, uh, you know, I'm already spending a lot of time on performance management, and I don't really have any more time. Or, uh, you know, people don't really have the skills to engage in these critical conversations. So how are we going to equip them to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, so really what, what we need to do is help people see how they can weave this into their day-to-day work and make it focused on the work without adding a, lex- a lot of extra time and burden. And you really need to give people, uh, managers and employees alike, those foundational skills to be successful. In general, then, when we're looking at it, maybe you're trying to move a company or leaders into this idea of, you know, changing changing the current methods, maybe something new, innovative a little bit. Are there ways to actually quantify and show that, you know, this is successful versus this being, you know, not as effective? I mean, how do you really show that in terms of, I don't know if you can use numbers, if you can, if you can quantify in some way? Because I feel like a lot of managers and employers, they really, they'd want to see something that tells them that. Yeah, absolutely. They want to see the evidence. And so we'd suggest that shift the focus from measuring process, which is how it's done now. Did people complete their forms on time? Did they stick within the policy? And instead, look at the behaviors. So we we like to think of four critical behaviors that really drive performance management. First, uh, do employees understand how their work connects to the organization's mission Second, uh, are expectations clear? Third, do people get timely and actionable feedback? And then fourth, do, are they able to develop their skills through experience? So if you can measure whether or not those behaviors are occurring, and, and you can, uh, you'll get a sense of how things are improving in the organization. And then, of course, you can look at the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Are people performing better? Is the organization performing better? And a lot of what I've seen, both from what some of the things you've done and just other things that I've, I've researched a little bit, there's a lot of the talk of the importance of linking engagement to the idea of performance management. And obviously, you talk about this more of a, a day-to-day informal thing versus the, the formal once-in-a-while check-in. Where does that start? How can an organization really start incorporating that into the daily, weekly routine versus having it, okay, your, you know, your performance management that's going to be completed next quarter? How do, you, how do you even begin that process? It starts with an education process of really helping people to understand how those four behaviors that I mentioned drive engagement. And engagement's really about giving people a sense of purpose uh, giving them a sense of mastery over their domain, mm-hmm. and also uh, allowing them to work autonomously. So those behaviors uh, really reinforce that principle. So you really got to start with communicating why is this important to do, how does this relate to us achieving our business objectives, and then giving people practical skills uh, and tools to help them actually do these behaviors, and then holding them accountable for doing that. I mean, are there certain examples of maybe activities that can be done or you mentioned, you know, sort of these fundamental skills that are necessary, whether it be something with, you know, continuous feedback sort of thing, discussions, I guess, do you have examples maybe that people could latch on to? So one of the best examples is teaching everyone critical coaching skills. 
So coaching skills about how you use questions effectively, how you engage in direct communication, how you listen. Uh, active listening is a big part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you then reflect that information back? Uh, so what we like to do is provide people that training, also uh, giving someone a job aid or a conversation guide. Um, what we do in our own organization is ask people to have regular conversations, and we actually give them a guide. Here are the questions that you should ask in the conversation. Um, we give guidance that they should be two-way that it's not just the manager giving feedback, but the employee has actively got to be a part of the conversation and own it as well. Brown bags, um, question and answer sessions are another tool. Um, Another uh, tool that we like to use is a pulse survey. So ask people, how often are you observing the behaviors, the critical behaviors that I mentioned Mm -hmm. in the organization, and do we need to see more of it? And that's a quick way to give people feedback and keep them honest about how things are going. When we look at maybe some of the tools in terms of performance management, you you know you mentioned like a, a rating scale, that being one. You see things like written assessments, you know, relating performance management and, and you know output, so to speak, to maybe pay or bonuses or promotion in some way. Are these all things that should just be gotten rid of? Are there certain alternatives to this? Is there a balance between? I mean, how do you how do you sort of take what is being used and maybe still incorporate some versus get rid of some? What's sort of the overall take on these tools that are being used now? There certainly have been a lot of calls to abolish performance management altogether, and and that is not something we'd suggest. Mm. What we'd suggest instead is take a careful look at the system and, first of all, stop doing anything that's not required and that absolutely adds no value. So get the things out of the way that are holding you back. For example, if you're requiring lengthily written assessments Mm -hmm. and there's no value in that and they're not required, uh, then stop doing them. Um, (laughs) Then secondly, uh, scale back anything that is required but that adds little value. So, for example, in government, you're required to have a rating of record. There's just no getting around it. Uh, But you're not required to rate on 20 competencies and 15 objectives and have a (laughs) 20-page appraisal process. So, you know, scale it back to the minimum you need to get the job done and still add some value. For example, rating scales, if you use them, they should be very simple, very intuitive. On the pay for performance question, I'm glad you you mentioned that because that's a big challenge. A lot of organizations have really struggled with that um, and have not been able to do it well. So our suggestion there would be really step back and think about uh, the return on investment that you might get. Because there's a lot of research that suggests that pay for performance doesn't really work. It doesn't really drive higher performance. There are some circumstances where it does, and that's when you can really closely tie somebody's individual output to uh, and measure it well and then tie it to pay. But most jobs, most knowledge jobs, that's very difficult to do. So our suggestion instead would be tie pay to market factors Use promotions as a means to make significant pay adjustments and base promotion decisions on what has the person demonstrated that they're able to do on the job. Um, So there is still a relation to performance, but it's not the annual appraisal cycle. And then use maybe other means to to reward and recognize people. Um, You can use spot bonuses or you can use non-monetary awards as well. Giving people that that sense of mastery and purpose and autonomy is often, the, you know, the best reward. 
part of the argument, I guess, uh, with performance management, the way they're traditionally done with this sort of formal setting is that there's a fair amount of consistency to it across the organization and maybe people know what they're getting into, so to speak. When we're talking about having these more fluid conversations and day-to-day uh, sort of focus, I guess, what what do those conversations sound like to really be able to make sure they're, they are effective and that there is still some sort of consistency that's going to fit in with the organization? I, I mean, what are some of the key elements of those conversations? So there's a probably a delicate balance here. You want to provide enough guidance and structure so that people um, are having a meaningful and purposeful conversation, but you don't want to over-engineer it. If you give somebody a script, they're going to focus on following the script and right. not having a purposeful conversation. Um, so we teach people how to engage in the, in the behaviors that I talked about earlier. We give people some questions to think about in advance, and then uh, we ask them to, to take the conversation where it needs to go based on, you know, where that person is right now in terms of their career and where they need to grow. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if I'm the manager in the conversation, I'm not just giving the person feedback on what I've observed. I'm asking them thought-provoking questions to get them to to really uncover what's working and what isn't. Uh, So, for example, we, we would talk about a past project and what worked well on the project, what didn't work so well, what might we do differently. And it's, it's very much a collaborative problem-solving orientation, not sure. I'm the manager and I'm judging you, but, hey, this is a problem to be solved. Let's figure it out together. And, you know, me as the manager, I'm going to talk about what my contribution was to this situation, not just what you as the employee did, but how did I help you? How did I not help you? What do we both need to do differently in the future? So what sort of feedback or results have you maybe seen or heard with some of the organizations that have made this move from a, a formal, traditional performance management idea into this informal, you know, sort of continuous management style? So what we've seen are, first of all, people are more satisfied. Uh, so, for example, in our own organization, we decided to go pretty radical and we did away with any kind of formal rating process and went to the conversation approach and nobody missed the appraisal form. <laughs> nobody missed the rating. Right. And we didn't see any decrement in performance at all. In fact, we saw improvements. So people like it better. They're more satisfied. They say they find the conversations a lot more meaningful. Uh, they feel more empowered because it's that two-way collaborative approach and mm-hmm. not just one way. And what we've also seen is that problems get addressed faster. So rather than letting something, you know, kind of stew and saving it up to the end of the appraisal cycle, we teach people to address it head on and right away. And then also not just the manager, but but peers are expected to give each other feedback as well. Uh, And that whole process saves time in the end. It does require a little bit of upfront investment because you have to teach people the skills. But over time, if you can slim back the burdensome processes, you'll find that you'll save time in the end. How about on the other side of things? Because, you know, as our show suggests that nobody's perfect and nothing is perfect. What are some of the issues or concerns that maybe that have come up or or have been discussed even amongst yourself? You know, I think one of the things we're still struggling with is how do organizations make decisions about who to give raises to, Mm. who to give promotions to, if they don't have this formal process to rely on. Um, And the truth of the matter is, is that that's not the way it works now. Most people would like to think that you have this very objective performance appraisal system that gives you some kind of grade or score for the employee, and then you can translate that score into some kind of outcome. 
And the truth of the matter is, if you talk to any manager, they'll tell you, well, I know who I want to promote. I know who I need to give the biggest raise to this year. Sure. And then I back into the ratings to, <laughs> you know, to justify that. Right. Um, so it, it, helping people really come up with uh, good decision-making processes, transparent processes, and using that rather than a false system uh, that's really there to, to just document the, what the decision already is. Overall, then, I mean, regardless of what style or type of performance management's being used, whether it be a sort of traditional model or more of this you know, radical ideas, as, as you sort of mentioned there, no matter what type you're using, what would you say really are the most important aspects in terms of maintaining accurate assessments and really the idea of in improving performance among employees? Well, first and foremost, it's really critical to focus on communication and trust. Communication and trust are the foundation, and without that, none of the rest of this works. So you really need to teach all employees, not just managers, on how to build that and how to engage in the behaviors that really matter. You need to hold people accountable for those behaviors and not just uh, following through on the process. And you need to keep all of this at the forefront uh, and hit barriers such as time and hesitancy to have tough conversations. Mm. You need to hit those head on. Help people understand, you know, what's holding them back. What are the reasons they're encountering those barriers and figure out how to overcome them. And, and overall, adopt a mindset of experimentation. Um, this is not easy. It's not fast. Um, we suggest organizations try new approaches, figure out what's going to work well for them in their context. Don't be afraid to pilot test things. Evaluate. Keep what works. Discard what doesn't. And look for new ways to keep improving. Well, with that, we will look to wrap up our conversation here today on Nobody's Perfect. Uh, we've been discussing the idea of performance management and some ways to really potentially improve their effectiveness. We've been talking with Rose Mueller-Hansen, Director of Leadership and Organizational Consulting at PDRI. Rose, thanks a lot for giving us some diverse perspective, really, on this topic today. Well, Tim, thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And, of course, a thank you to our listeners as well. Remember, if you do have any comments or suggestions, email us at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. I'm your host, Tim Muma. Remember, nobody's perfect, so please watch your step. 